Are you a mom launching kids into adulthood? If so, you need to know about my Empty Nest Mom Retreat. It is the gathering for moms who have at least one child over the age of 18 or who have launched them all and have a full empty nest. September 27th through the 29th are the dates, and Cedar Lake Retreat Center in Cedar Lake, Indiana is the place. You can fly into Chicago airports and drive to Cedar Lake in a little over an hour. Come join me. Best Value Registration is available through May 27th, and space is limited to just 100 moms, so don't delay. Check out jillsavage.org slash retreat to register today. When I say to high school kids when I'm doing an assembly, you know, say the ABCs. They're so embarrassed when they start to sing them. You can't say them, you know, ABC. No, it's a natural thing that happens because music is so powerful. So when you do have children who need to memorize the order of events for history tests or chemistry abbreviations or the definition of a word for an economics quiz, and you whether they're music smart or not, like whether you think they're that or that, it activates a part of the brain that otherwise would be asleep. And the more parts of the brain that you bring to bear on a topic, the better the comprehension and retention and application will be. Welcome to the No More Perfect Podcast, where we talk about the messy, less than perfect, but real stuff of life. My name's Jill Savage, and I'll be your host. I'm so glad you're here. At one time or another, most kids will wonder, how am I smart? I mean, honestly, even as adults, we wonder the exact same thing. We're very aware of our shortcomings, but are we aware of how God has uniquely made us to take in this world? Instead of asking, am I smart? The better question is, how am I smart? And that's what we're going to explore today on this episode of the No More Perfect Podcast with my guest, Dr. Kathy Cook. Welcome, Dr. Kathy. Well, thank you so much, Jill, for having me on the show. I'm excited. Oh, my goodness. Super excited. So Dr. Kathy Cook is the founder and president of Celebrate Kids and the co-founder of Ignite the Family, which is a legacy ministry of Hearts at Home. She has influenced thousands of parents, teachers, children, through her speaking and her writing. Kathy is also the co-author of No More Perfect Kids, a book that she and I wrote together. A fun little thing you might know or might not know is she was featured in Kirk Cameron's movie, Connect. That must have been really fun, Kathy. It was a super fun thing. You know what I like to say, Joel? I never prayed to be in a movie, right? Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't even, there's no sanity in, you know, Father God, let me be in a movie. So when I got the email from somebody saying that Kirk Cameron would like to talk to me, I'm like, well, this has got to be trash. You know, there's no way this is real. And I am so grateful I responded. And I'm like, I just replied and I said, just in case this is legit, I need a little bit more information. And this young kid who was working for him wrote back and said, man, of course you would have wondered. I'm so sorry. No, this is really legit. And, you know, the rest is history. But it it was a great Kirk and Chelsea and their six kids are totally really cool people. I love that. Very cool. And if you've never watched that movie, Connect, it's a it's a good one. Kathy, tell us what it is about so that people understand. Yeah, thank you. It is about 
technology's influence on young people's beliefs and behaviors. There's some really good testimonies on there of um, young men and women who spent a season addicted to gaming or even pornography, although nothing explicit is stated, so you can watch it with your preteens and, and teens and young adults. Um, I'm on there talking about how technology causes us to believe these lies that we deserve to be happy all the time. And he's got a neuropsychologist on there talking about brain development. And and uh, there's about a 10-minute little clip that's really Hollywood movie-ish. The rest of it is like a documentary. And it's just passionately, you know, yeah, we just, we want to protect the kids, right? He wants the family bond to be really strong. And so do you and I. And that's really what part of the movie is about. I love that. So I'll make sure and put a link to the movie Connect in the show notes as well, if that's not one that you have uh, watched before. All right, Kathy, I thought we'd do something new. I've not done this with any of my previous guests, but I thought this would be kind of fun. A little bit of a get to know you rapid fire. Okay. So just, okay. Just four different things that I'm just going to ask you real quick. See what comes first to your mind. All right. Favorite food. Prime rib. Oh, good taste. (laughs) Favorite (laughs) sports team. Green Bay Packers. I knew that one. (laughs) Favorite place you've ever visited. Chiang Mai, Thailand. Ooh. Tell me real quick. Why it was your favorite place. The night market is remarkable. I rode an elephant. I went to a snake show. There's Western food and Eastern food, and it's inexpensive. I highly recommend anyone goes there on a vacation. It is the Christian home base in Asia for many Christian ministries, so it's really easy to be a believer there. Oh, interesting. And favorite thing to collect. You know the answer to this one, too, I think, Joe. I do. Uh, Nativities. I own 138 nativities from around the world. They're displayed year-round in my office and my home. And it's a beautiful thing because I love Jesus, and I also really appreciate the artistry of the and the way the different country portrays it. Like in Thailand, the Thailand nativity has an elephant because in Thailand, elephants are revered. So of course, there would have been an elephant if Jesus would have been born there. Wow. I love that. Yeah. So it's fun. It is very fun. It's such a unique thing to connect, to collect. I love that. All right. So so we're going to be talking in this episode about eight great smarts, but I want to just visit No More Perfect Kids just really quickly, because you and I have had several conversations about the fact that Man, the gold that is in that book and the timelessness that's in that. What is it about No More Perfect Kids that you personally love? Oh, there is so much that's practical. I think that there are parents who don't mean to be perfectionistic toward their children. They're trying really hard to figure out the balance between a high realistic expectation and expecting a child to earn an A if an A is possible or to make the first team if that's possible. You know, how to how to live that out at the same time that they are full of grace and mercy when the kid falls short. I think that's a really big challenge. It always has been. And I think you and I, through the information and the stories, address very well how to set a realistic expectation and how to handle it when it isn't met. I think that's part of the gold. How would you answer that question? Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I think that it, there's such a fine line between excellence and perfection. And Mm -hmm. that's, and I mean, that's the ultimate balance that I think most parents have to figure out is how do I expect excellence and, and desire that, which I believe that God calls us to and cause our children to, but then how do we do that without expectations being really perfection? 
And yeah, I think that that's, I think that's really a key. So anyway, good stuff. One of the things people may not know is that we have free video curriculum with No More Perfect Kids. And the other day I was actually watching that free video curriculum. I had gone back over some of the free and I had a little bit of a stark reminder. I was going through breast cancer and I had a really bad wig. <laughs> when we were, I my wig had not yet come in that I had ordered that looked like my hair. And I mean, it kind of looked like, and it really wasn't terribly bad, but it didn't quite match the color of my hair. And so anyway, people may, you know, the average person might not even know I was wearing a wig, but if you want to, if you want to see something funny, check out No More Perfect Kids. <laughs> Oh my goodness. That was a little crazy. Yeah. I think you were really brave and I don't think it was bad. You're right that it wasn't exactly you, but I remember being really proud of you for not allowing the cancer to, you know, win the battle. You know, you kept going forward and that was brilliant of you. Yeah, I did. I, you're right. I mean, if there was a day I was non-functional, then I was non-functional, but for the most part, I was able to be very, still do my usual daily activities. So I was grateful for that. All right. Well, let's jump into this book, Eight Great Smarts. And I really, first, will you share with us your journey to discovering the eight great smarts and how that kind of came about? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, Howard Gardner is actually the researcher behind the model. He's a psychologist at Harvard University who was interested in how people behave differently, and that's where it comes from. But Jill, for me, it started when I was a teacher of second graders forever ago. I was appalled at how many of them had already defined themselves as less than able. You know, I had a little, you know, seven, eight-year-olds, oh, Miss Cook, I can't do that. You know, Sean is the one in the room that can do that, but, but I can't do that. And they were already comparing and hello, no more perfect kids. And they were already dismissing themselves as, you know, dumb and stupid. And they were seven or eight. That was not my experience as a child. I was raised to believe in myself and for education to have value and for progress to be expected. And so I, I don't remember ever thinking that if I can't do it well the first day, I must be stupid. And I was appalled and alarmed. And I thought, how can I, as a teacher, you know, break through to this? So when I discovered the multiple intelligence model after I earned my PhD and I was a professor and it showed up in textbooks, and then I began to look into it in detail, I'm like, oh, this is the answer. You know, this is why one kid liked magnets and not fruit flies. And one week they liked science and one week they didn't. You know, this is why one kid learned his phonics when he clapped the the loud Y at the end or, you know, whatever the case might have been. And so it was really, it really revealed um, practical truth to me. I love practicality. You know that. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a really uplifting way, you know, to talk to kids and it's very practical. Right, right. Well, I, I would agree. And I'll tell you... When I first discovered this and I first learned it from you, my kids were all older and we all took the little test, all of us. I remember we were gathered for a holiday and we all took the little test and it was just, it, it wasn't just insightful for younger children. It was insightful mm -hmm. for me with my adult children. It was insightful for me. It was insightful for my husband. So, um, so powerful to understand this. So let's go through the eight smarts. So that you, that we that people have a context for this and they better understand them. Can we do that real quick? Yeah, let's do it. So why don't I define all eight and then we can go back and talk about however you would like to do that. So there are eight of them and we believe that we all have the capacity to develop all eight. 
I will say that the earlier they're awakened, the greater the likelihood they're a strength for a lifetime. So as you listen to the list, if you feel like you don't have this one or my, my Jonathan doesn't have this one, no, he probably does. It just hasn't been as important yet or awakened yet through toys, activities, conversations, experiences. So here they are, word smart. And when we're word smart, we think with words. The second one that I talk about is logic smart. And when we're being logic smart, we think with questions. So again, all of us have all eight. So when I'm being word smart, I think with words. When I'm being logic smart, I think with questions. And then picture smart. And when we're being picture smart, we think in pictures with our eyes and we think in pictures in our mind and on paper. So if you have a child or if you yourself, if your imagination is really vivid and you can see the dinosaur just when I say the word dinosaur, that's because God created you to be very picture smart. And then music smarts, number four, and these are the people who think with rhythms and melodies. They make music when they're excited. They might sing in tune or play an instrument or two, or they might just like music. All of the smarts, Jill, begin with interest. And if the interest is reacted to well, then ability can rise out of that. We can talk more about that if you want. Mm -hmm. And then number five is body smart. Body smart kids think with movement and touch. So they're often the ones who are told, you know, sit down, sit down, sit down, look at me, stop that, put that down. (laughs) And in reality, you know, if we let, and I know you have a story about one of your kids, Mm -hmm. you know, if we let them move and even hang upside down when they're learning their vocabulary words, you know, then maybe they'll actually learn them. But that, and that's the freedom that, that I think we need to give our kids. And then there's three more. Nature smart. We think with patterns. We love to be outside. This is how we know it's a bluebird, not a blue jay, because we have an ability to remember where the blue is on the body of the bird. And then the last two, really important, people smart. And when we're being people smart, we think with other people and we get our joy from telling what we know. So actually, you and I are doing this right now where you know we can see each other, even though everyone else is listening to the audio. And so you're reacting with your eyes, you're reacting with a head nod. You know, I can see a curiosity pondering maybe on your face. And so an ability of the people smart people is to be able to read that language and then take that in and go with it to the right place, if mm-hmm. you will. And then uh, self-smart people think deeply inside of themselves, and they crave a quiet peace, privacy, and space, and get their joy from knowing what they know. And those are the eight, and we have them in all combinations, and they're all, you know, they're all important, even though some of them are more important in traditional school than others. You and I believe they're all important because we want kids to develop all of who they've been created to be. Mm-hmm. Yes, very much so. You know, I, I wrote down the word awakened that when you were talking, and I was like, you know, this is really one of the reasons why it's valuable to give our kids a wide variety of opportunities to try lots of different things because you're trying to figure out, even though we can do all, all of these, all eight, there are a few that rise to the top for us that are kind of our primary way that we're smart, right? Mm -hmm. And so what we want to do is we want to help our kids figure out what their primary way of being smart is. And part of that is letting them try lots of different things. Absolutely. In fact, we talk in No More Perfect Kids and in this book, I write about 
you know, if you start them on piano lessons, it doesn't mean they have to take piano lessons forever and ever. Mm -hmm. But if you have a child who every time they go to the church nursery, they go to the the bells and they hit the bells or they go to grandma's apartment and they're fascinated by the the doorbell. And and so they, they love the rhythm or the melody or you just watch them gravitate toward music. That's probably a child who may benefit from piano lessons, may enjoy them, may do really well. You might have another kid who doesn't, but is the soccer player or the artist or, you know, the deep intellectual thinker who's going to become a lawyer or a counselor someday. So I absolutely agree that the greater the variety, the greater the likelihood that they will discover where their joy comes from, which is what we want for our kids, and where we can watch to see, you know, what high school electives or what hobbies or how can they serve in the community according to how God wired them. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. And, you know, as you were as you were saying that, it was it was making me think a little bit about you know, the whole piano lessons thing, like just because they start piano lessons doesn't mean that they are going to continue that. So, you know, of my five kids and I'm a former piano teacher. So of course, everybody took piano lessons. <laughs> of course. Because <laughs> I'm going to require that. But it became evident who was, who was music smart and who wasn't. And, you know, and so I had to allow, I mean, honestly, there was this dogmatic side of me that was like, if you're going to, you got to do this, this is going to be good for you. But I had to get to the place to go, no, guess what? These two kids, it, they just, it it oozes out of them. And so I'm going to let them go on this one over here. I'm going to let, let this go just, it's hard for them and they're not enjoying it in the same way. So she gave it a good three years, but we're going to let that go and let her explore something else. I love that about you because it can't be about the parent. It can't be about the parent living life through the kid. You know, I never had the privilege of taking piano lessons. Therefore, you will. And by golly, you will like it. (laughs) You know, and (laughs) so absolutely. And my brother and I both were exposed to that and ended up going to the university to march in the band. And my brother still plays the trumpet and music is still a very important interest of mine, even though the ability lapsed many, many, many years ago. But yeah, to, to know that they were created in God's image and not our image, and we need to respect that. Yeah. And that was, I'm sure that was hard for you as a piano teacher. You would have expected all of your kids to be good at it and to want to do it well. But again, we have so much in us to come out that it may not be that that's one of their top four and that's okay. Yeah. And I wanted, here's the other thing though. I wanted them to enjoy it as much as I enjoyed it. Not, not just be as, you know, not just be good at it, but to enjoy it. And that's, I think where the rubber met the road for me is I had to go, this one's not enjoying it in the same way that I have enjoyed it. And that's where I'm like, you know what, let's let her use this time to explore something else. Jill, that is so good because if I could ask you a question, I'm seeing as I'm out and about parents who have stopped prioritizing joy, it has become all about ability and maybe again that perfection and it's all about what you do and yet you and I know that, oh my goodness, I can't imagine if I didn't have joy in what I do, I would be a miserable, unhealthy person and you would not want to be around me. So do you see that too where parents have stopped Mm -hmm. prioritizing or looking for joy or not letting that be a way that they make decisions. That really concerns me. Yeah, I would agree. I think that we get ourselves in a mindset. And, you know, I even go back to, 
you were, you made the mention about, you know, a child that loves the doorbell at grandma's house and they're always ringing it. I think a lot of times we can say, stop ringing that doorbell. Stop that. Stop that. Stop that. And yes, to some degree, you want to be like, all right, we've had enough of the doorbell. But I think what we need to do is go a step further and go, why do they love that doorbell? And I think that oftentimes as parents or grandparents, we stop with stop with the doorbell. Like we don't go beyond. And, you know, one of the things that I'm really passionate about is when you're correcting a child is that you are not treating the symptom, but you're looking for the root. And I think in the same way, when you're trying to connect with a child, don't miss the what's beyond that little outside symptom the love of the doorbell missing that they love sound that they love rhythms that they love maybe that musical piece to it so go the extra mile and i think sometimes we stop short of that we don't realize oh there's something to be discovered here Oh, I so agree with that. And, you know, it could have been a negative that they liked the attention they were getting because they were bored and they felt like you hadn't noticed them in a while. So let's admit that too. But it, we do have to look at what's the root behind the fruit. What's the, what's going on there? And then do we celebrate that? And, you know, I think most kids, if we said, Hey, ring it four times real fast and then be done, they would love that. And they're capable of being finished for a season and finding something else to entertain themselves with. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love how you just redirected them. You gave them permission, ring that four times real fast and then we're done. And, and that's, you give them the gift of enjoying it, but you put a boundary on it, a healthy boundary. So I love that. Yes. So really understanding how we are smart helps us, I think, better accept and better connect with ourselves as well as those in our family. Because if we don't recognize the way in which they are either similar to us or different from us, we will actually unknowingly often and uh, unconsciously expect them to be more like us. Would you agree with that, Kathy? Very true. Very true. I've seen testimony of siblings. In fact, I'll, I'll say this quite boldly. I think it's possible that the intelligences are a reason that a parent may prefer to spend time with one kid over another. Mm-hmm. And, and I've talked to a lot of moms and dads, and I bet you have too, who feel some guilt over that. You know, well, it's, it's not a question of love. Like I would pray that you, to the best of your ability, love them equally. You know, that love is something that is not um, influenced by behavior, supposedly, you know, unconditional love. I love you no matter what you do or who you are. I don't like what you're doing, but I love you. But the, the likability factor, you know, if, you're, if you love gardening and you have a son or a daughter who, who does, then it's okay to invite that kid to weed the garden with you. And I know that's part of your testimony as well, Joe. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to go to the botanical garden with your son and daughter and not your oldest who doesn't really enjoy it because why would you force him to come and then none of you will enjoy it? Could we just admit that he is wired differently? He's not bad or wrong. He's different. And that's a mature way of thinking. And now I also think that we also want to gravitate toward our children's interests. So what does the older son enjoy? And will I go with him to that activity, even though I don't enjoy it all that much, so that he sees me 
wanting to enjoy him and wanting to understand who he is and why he likes what he likes. Yes, yes. Oh, so true. You know, it's re- it's interesting. I just recently had a conversation with our two daughters who have the majority, between the two of them, they have the majority of our grandkids, or at least our older grandkids that are capable of, of starting to explore some of these things. And so I saw, so I think back to my own childhood, I participated in 4-H. Did you ever participate in 4-H, Kathy? I did not. I come from a big city, so I did not. Okay. So I I participated in 4-H. And when I look back, it allowed me to explore a lot of different things. And I would do, you know, I would choose certain topics and areas of interest. I remember one year I did sewing and one year I did childcare and I could explore lots of different interests. But if after a year I was like, yeah, I don't want to do that again, I could back off and and not, you know, do that anymore. And I recently saw our local 4-H is doing something online this year, because obviously, so I said to my, my two daughters, I said, could I do this with the kids? They are the ones that are old enough to do it, 10, 8, and 8. I said, could I do this with them? And, you know, it would just be an evening that Nana spends with them and we do 4-H together. And of course, they jumped at it. They were like, yes, absolutely. We would love that. I think the kids would love that. But I really want them to have that same experience of just being able to explore lots of different things. Oh, that's so good. For sure. Absolutely. That's part of family, right? Like you and I believe in the family. Mm-hmm. You know, mom, dad, aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents, God ordains the family in Genesis. We should pay attention to that. So I love that you're intentionally walking toward them and wanting to share a part of yourself with them. And then you know what, Jill? It's easier then for them to share themselves with you. Yes. Um, because they've seen you come toward them. Yeah, I love that. I, pr- I pray it's really fun and that they enjoy it. I know. I hope so too as well. Yeah, you mentioned a story. Let's go back for a moment about, you mentioned that I had a story in No More Perfect Kids and it was about being body smart. And let, let's talk about that for a moment. So for those that haven't read that book or haven't heard that story, my son, our youngest son, Austin, asked me if I would help him to actually study for a test. And I said, yes, yes, I would ha- be happy to. He handed me the the pages that I needed to quiz him on. I turned around, walked to another chair across the room. And when I sat down in the chair, I saw that he had positioned himself upside down with his feet over the back of the recliner. And I almost corrected him. I almost was like, sit in that chair correctly. And then I just kind of caught myself and thought, nah, I'm just going to let him be who he is, be upside down in the chair. I quizzed him and he got every single thing right. And that was a huge kind of a turning point for me because I think I was a bit of a stickler up to that point, but I was kind of learning to let them be you know, who they were. And I think some parents would go, yeah, but it's not okay to sit in a chair upside down. You know what? He already was there. I was just going to let that happen because it just wasn't important in that moment. Yes. In the classroom, he can't sit in a chair upside down. Right? Right. So in that moment is a great phrase, you know, at the restaurant, he can't at in school, he can't. And yet if he studies and learns it, well, then praise God. And then most kids will be able to sit straight up in a in a chair and take a quiz and do well. Yeah, to let them be who they were created to be 
as long as they're also obedient, you know, you and I certainly have a high standard for Mm -hmm. excellent behavior and character development as well. So if they're told to sit down and sit up, then they need to. And yet what I have found is that when we let them be who they were created to be, when that's okay, then it's easier for them to be who we need them to be when that's our expectation. If we never let the children have freedom, then no, they're, they're going to question and they're going to kind of fight back against that. Yeah, very good. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so school's in session right now. And honestly, a lot of parents are homeschooling. I mean, because you and I are recording this in the midst of COVID. And uh, a lot of parents, my, both of my daughters are homeschooling their children. They opted to do that over the traditional my school setting because they didn't want to be kind of yanked around between in class, out of class, in class, out of class. So what do parents need to be considering? What do they need to be thinking about when they're homeschooling or even if their kids are in a traditional setting when they're helping them with homework? How does this mindset and understanding how your kids are smart make a difference with that, Kathy? Yeah, I love that question. Thank you. Let me go back to the order that I presented them in. I started with word and logic and I said that word smart kids think with words They tend to be our readers, writers, speakers, and listeners. When they're excited, they probably talk. And logic smart kids think with questions. They ask questions when they're excited and they gravitate toward things like math and science that make sense and where they get to discover things on their own. The reason that I present those two smarts first, the only reason is because that is traditional schooling. Mm -hmm. If you think about the way that you and I were raised in a, in a school down the road, you know, eight to three, we talked and read and listened and wrote all day and asked and answered questions. They're not the most important smarts, though. They're the most important smarts in traditional school and certainly for some careers. So I think an advantage of homeschooling is to celebrate the way that your kids were created. And if you have a child who, you know, isn't as logic smart and doesn't doesn't gravitate toward math and doesn't like science and discovering things, but is artistic and creative and would rather be outdoors than indoors and is very good with people then celebrate that and do group activities and you know study biographies and autobiographies rather than something that they might consider boring. So the freedom that we have as homeschoolers, I think, is great for choosing topics we study and how we study them. So if you have a child who is logic smart, have him participate in a debate because they, they think with that cause-effect comparison contrast question and answer kind of mentality. So we have the potential for topic and the potential for methodology. Mm, Yeah. And if your child is in, you know, one of the things that comes to my mind is if, if your child's in traditional school and you're helping them with their studies and maybe they're music smart Mm -hmm. and, you know, try to help them study for a test by putting rhythms to the, to the answers or to the question and the answers or making a little song out of it. Like those are the things, those are the ways that parents, even if the child is in an environment that requires learning by word and logic, we can help them internalize that learning by the way that they best operate in this world. Absolutely. Absolutely. We can review to all eight and when we know our children, and that's you know the passion of the parent, I hope, is to know the children, and you know which ones enjoy art, music, drama, nature, and patterns. You know, self, deep intellectual reasoning. You know, if you when you know your kids, then you can 
help them figure out how to study in a way that will fit them, even if the teacher did not recommend that. And that's, as you're saying, that's where the parent takes over. Absolutely. I know of kids who learn to count by singing. In fact, Jill, how do you say, how do you spell Mississippi? (laughs) M I crooked letter, crooked letter, I crooked letter, I crooked letter, I humpback humpback I. <laughs> oh my gosh That's have you so ever heard good. that one <laughs> yeah i have and you know for me it's you know m-i-s-s-i-s-s-i-p-p-i and the point i want to make is you know you and i could be 98 years old and about to die and we will know how to spell that word yeah because mu- music is best for long-term memory if when i say to high school kids when i'm doing an assembly you know say the abcs they're so embarrassed when they start to sing them you can't say them you know, ABC. No, it's a natural thing that happens because music is so powerful. So when you do have children who need to memorize the order of events for history tests or chemistry abbreviations or the definition of a word for an economics quiz, and you whether they're music smart or not, like whether you think they're that or that, it activates a part of the brain that otherwise would be asleep. And the more parts of the brain that you bring to bear on a topic, the better the comprehension and retention and application will be. Mm-hmm. So, and, and what, what I've found with kids is once you give them permission to study in these unique, quote unquote, fun ways, and they find out that it helps them. Now, when they go in to take the quiz, they cannot sing out loud the definition of the vocabulary words while they're taking their economics quiz, but they can hum it inside their head. Yes. And the and the words will come out and they'll show up on paper. And now you've just empowered your child to do well, which is the passion of the parent, right? That they would make progress and would feel good about their academic ability. Yes. Yes. I totally agree. Well, you know, one of the things I talk about in our No More Perfect Kids book is my tendency, especially early in parenting, was to parent the herd, uh, the group, you know, and I, and one of the, when we talk about kicking the perfection infection out of our parenting, one of the ways of doing that is by perception and perception allows you to see the child as an individual. And that's what we're talking about here is we're talking about deep perceptive parenting, not expecting everybody to look and say, look the same, do the same, be the same, but to recognize, oh, this kid, this is what works with this kid. This is what works with this kid. And that really, when we can turn that corner and we can really tune into who they are uniquely as an individual, that is actually a beautiful gift we can give to them. Oh, it's so powerful because it says I've been seen Yes. And it says, I'm known here. Mm-hmm. And they have to be known at home. There's so many other places they go where they're not. Mm-hmm. And they can feel invisible. And they are herded down the hall, if you will. Mm-hmm. So it's very, very powerful. And, you know, Jill, it takes intentionality, right? It takes the mom and the dad to sit down, put your phone down, and pay attention to who's doing what in the living room. And, and how are, you know, how are they behaving? And when your child has spare time, what does she choose to do? Which one of your kids goes to a Sudoku book and who goes to a coloring book and who goes to, you know, the checker game and wants to play with you and who goes online with a friend and who just sits and stares out the window? And do we, do we know that? And then do we, do we ask them some questions perhaps to get to understand it better? My brother, I'm going to just share a quick story. My brother is a clinical chemist. He's on an International Task Force for COVID-19, actually. He's a brilliant, well, well, well-known well, chemist. And my brother testifies that he began his pursuit of science when he was 10 years old, and our grandparents gave him a chemistry set. Mm-hmm. Now, he has an earned PhD and a postdoctorate, which is two years after a PhD. 
He is a former president of his international association, a board member. He's a professor at Emory down in Atlanta. He's brilliant. And my our grandparents saw something in Dave that when it was time for his birthday on June 12th, they chose a chemistry set rather than any other game they could have chosen at a store back in the day. And our parents allowed Dave to make messes at the kitchen table mm-hmm. with that chemistry set. And the rest is history. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I really, I mean, I have tears in my eyes because I think we forget as parents and aunts and uncles and grandparents that the things we do change today and change tomorrow. And, and to have that perspective as a parent Wow, it's I mean so much better than an Amazon gift card. And and I don't say that lightly. Amazon gift cards are very easy to buy. Do they necessarily say to a kid, hey, you're known here? I see you. So, I, I hope that comes across okay. I, I don't mean that to yeah. sound judgmental at all. We no. just I think we can work at it. I think it's a call to tune in. Mm. It's mm. a call to tune in because let's go back to what you were saying, you know, pay attention when your child has extra time, what do they tend to go to? Do they go to sitting, looking out the window? Do they go to being online with friends? Do they go to what read the Sudoku, all of that. But where I think we stop is connecting the dots back then to who they are why are they drawn to that activity? Mm. I think we stop at just seeing the activity and maybe even addressing it because we think it's wrong because we don't recognize what it is. Like for instance, you know, they're staring out the window. Well, if they're staring out the window, they may have a really strong imagination. And and we don't we don't engage that. Instead, we say, "Go do something with yourself. Go go get busy." You know, because we value the activity over recognizing that there is activity going on, but it's probably in their head. Oh, that's such a good point. Yeah, maybe they're self-smart, thinking deeply. Maybe they're nature-smart, enjoying the clouds that are moving. And you're right. Maybe there's a great imagination there. So to maybe make a statement or ask a question, hey, you know, what's going up? What's going on up in your head? Yes. And let Jessica go, how did you know, mom? Like I was just writing myself a story up there. I mean, it, it would be such a fun thing. I also think that, Jill, we have to be willing to not like what they like or to, you know, like it's, it's okay. Like maybe you have a kid who likes Sudoku and you like it, you just wouldn't even do that on your, like, <laughs> there's no way. That's okay. Um, let them like something, even if it makes you nervous that you can't engage with them there. Mm, yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. You know, I remember this was really, um, I haven't thought of this in years, but I remember um, when our son Evan was probably 10, we were in my bedroom and he was looking out the window and there was some music playing in the other room. I think my husband had some uh, some classical music on. And all of a sudden, Evan just says, mom, Bambi. And I was like, Bambi? And I go rush into the window, like, where's the deer, you know? <laughs> and he's like, it's Bambi. And I'm like, we live in a neighborhood. There's never deer in our neighborhood. So, you know, I look at, I look out the window and I go, where, where? And he goes, no, mom, the music, the music is Bambi. And it was like, oh, and he is my music kid. He's my songwriter. He's my, my incredible musician. He has a couple albums out. And, you know, I think back to that moment, man, he was tuned in 
to that music. And there was, I don't know why, you know, he was looking out the window because it was serving just as that imagination in his mind of what the music was bringing to his head. Oh, that's so cool. I love that he was free to tell you that. I love that you engaged with him in that moment and that you can look back now and celebrate that. You know, today does cause tomorrow. It does. When when you and I look back on our lives, we see a lot of things that, you know, I loved the library as a kid and I'm an author of six books. I mean, it, it comes together, right? And uh, the more that we are paid attention to, uh, the greater the likelihood that we'll develop into who God created us to be when he chose to create us. It's a very, very powerful thing. So I meant what I said, that if you don't you don't always have to engage. You don't have to like Sudoku to love your kid. Uh, it doesn't mean that you get him to put it away because it makes you nervous. You sit down and do a crossword puzzle next to him when he's doing Sudoku. But if you can engage and you can walk toward them and enjoy the same things, of course, that's also a really, really cool thing. It is. It's a beautiful gift we can give to them. And it's a beautiful gift you can give to them when you can just engage in it, even if you don't enjoy it. You know, my, my husband does that for me. I am music smart, obviously, and I love musicals. I love stage shows. He tolerates them. Um, (laughs) He really does. But a couple of times a year, he'll go with me to like community theater or, and he, and he encourages me if I can find, if I can take one of the grandkids with me, if I can find somebody else to go, he's like, fine, that's totally fine. But he is willing to go with me. So I, I, and I appreciate that. I appreciate that about him, that he's willing to step into my world, even though he doesn't appreciate a stage show where they sing everything they should be speaking. It, it drives him nuts. <laughs> Those are those are great examples. I, I love that freedom that he gives you to take someone else if you want, but that he goes. I mean, that's love, right? It is. To engage. It is. And I think the I think the smarts do help us understand maybe why it's why it's a struggle or why it's easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's been fun to talk with you about all this. Absolutely. So where can people find you online and where can they take a free a great smarts assessment? Well, we are CelebrateKids.com. So my ministry is called Celebrate Kids. And the website is CelebrateKids.com. And there's a, you know, the blog and the podcast that we have and um, descriptions of all the books. And one of the books that's described there, of course, is Eight Great Smarts. You can buy that at our shopping cart or, of course, Amazon and other places. And if you purchase the book, you get the magic code that allows you to take the little quiz. Okay. And um and and it's a, it's a good quiz. I do say, Jill, that we often can figure out how we're smart by what do we do in our spare time, what do we talk about when we talk, what kinds of questions do we ask, what do we spend our money on, what gets us into trouble. You know, the cute who moves all the time, talks all the time, whistles all the time, you know, is alone and isolated all the time. Those things can also hint. So we don't have to take the quiz, although it is it is thought provoking, and I certainly offer it. You know, within the pages of the book for people who buy it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I really appreciate the chance to promote that. It is, you know, it's always a good book, I guess I would say. And I do think now with all the educational options being being kind of messy and people getting really engaged with their kids more academically maybe than before, I think they would find great hope in the pages. I do too. I think the timing of this is, is really key because uh, so many parents are more involved in their children's education for a variety of reasons than probably ever before. So I think understanding this is really going to, it could uh, offer some perspective important perspective that will help them connect at a deeper level. 
Right. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Kathy. This has been an inspiring conversation for me personally. It just brought me back to some things that I haven't thought about for a little while. And I hope that it has done the same for our listeners. Thanks for joining me. Oh, I really appreciate your support. It's been fun. Appreciate it.